0: Well, good evening, brothers. Can, can you hear me? Well, I'm clear. Okay, good. Um, it's a joy to be with you here in Montgomery. Uh, I brought uh, some of the Lord's faithful people from Parkway Baptist Church over in Clinton, Mississippi. Uh, that's how we say it over in Mississippi. Uh, I'm actually uh, from California. And, uh, uh, John is from California as well. And uh, basically, through the sovereignty of God, I ended up in Mississippi. And uh, have been there serving at Parkway Baptist Church for a number of years. And um, have been so excited to be here. Um, so Parkway, the Saints of Parkway, Sandy Grudens, Uh Also, Pastor Greg, uh, Dr. Greg, uh, he said, uh, So Scott, I hear you're, you're going back to Morningview. I said, Yeah, I am. He said, All right, don't mess it up. You, <laughs> I said, Yes, sir. With that twinkle in his eyes, as you know he has. Um... Your pastors have asked me to come and address you on the theme taken from 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. And as I, I prayed and I, I thought about how might I, I best serve you brothers uh, this evening and tomorrow morning, uh, I figured it's always safe to get back to the basics. So I don't know about you. I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, didn't want to be a Christian, made fun of Christians Uh, and then I met Jesus and everything changed. So I thought what we might do in our time together is we might zoom in on the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ found in the Gospels. Um, specifically this idea about his love for us, compelling our love for each other and our love for the world. I want to zoom in even further, um, This evening in a couple sessions and and then tomorrow morning on this idea of the compassion of Jesus, the compassion of Christ. And we'll have three messages together. The first message is going to be found in Luke chapter 7. If you turn there, Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. And the first message will be focused on a simple question. All these will be centered on the compassion of Christ. But we'll just ask the question, who is he? Who is he? Secondly, this evening, we'll ask a similar simple question from Matthew 9, 35 to 38. What is his mission? What did he come to do? And then third and finally, uh, tomorrow morning, Lord willing, we'll ask a question, what do his people look like? And we'll be in Matthew chapter 18 for that. The compassion of Christ. Would you listen as... As God speaks to us kindly and addresses us through His Word. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 down to verse 17. It says this Soon afterward, He went to a town called Nain, and His disciples in a great crowd went with Him. As He drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of His mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. Bless you. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. I want us to see one big idea in this particular session. I want you to see, if you're writing notes, I'll, I'll go slow. Jesus shows his compassion as the prophesied prophet and God who visits his people and raises the dead. Say it one more time. Jesus shows compassion as the prophesied prophet and God who visits his people and raises the dead. We'll see it in three movements. I am a Baptist after all. These are even alliterated for you. Uh, first, the chance. of. Moment, that's in quotes, chance moment. We'll see that in verses 11 and 12. Second, the compassionate Messiah. We'll see that in verses 13 to 15. And then third and finally, the clear meaning in verses 16 and 17. Would you pray with me? Father, make your book live. Speak to us. Reveal the glory and beauty of your Son. Show us his compassion towards people in pain and even towards us and make us more like him. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, I want you to see in this particular text the chance moment. Notice the word chance is in quotes, air quotes. You don't have a bulletin here or anything that you can kind of follow along, so you just have to kind of follow with me. But in verses 11 and verse 12, uh, Luke writes this down. He says, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain and his disciples in a great crowd went with him as he drew near to the gate of the town. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. First, Luke starts this particular story and he says, soon afterward some manuscripts say the next day well soon after what if you were to look in your copy of the bible you can see in luke chapter 1 through luke chapter 3 the birth and genealogy of jesus christ as the second adam and as true israel in luke chapter 4 you remember going into the wilderness with jesus don't you he was there for how many days 40 days okay Guys, Thanksgiving's coming. You need to beat your family in Bible trivia. Okay, so he's 40 days. What's he doing for 40 days? He's fasting. There's no Chick-fil-A. And he's fasting and he's hungry. And, and does, does Satan send one of his first year ministry interns to him? No. That's what he does with us. Satan's got bigger people, bigger fish to fry, so to speak. But here Satan himself comes to Jesus and he tempts him in the wilderness three times. And Jesus, succeeding where Israel fails, shows us what it's like. We go from there in the power of the Holy Spirit with Jesus Christ to the synagogue in Nazareth. He's teaching in the synagogue. He takes the scroll of Isaiah and he opens it up and he says, This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing." do they like what he says? No. They hate it. In fact, they tried to take him out all the way to the edge of the cliff so they could push him over. And then he just passes through their midst. The rest of Luke 4 tells us about his healing of many and his preaching of the gospel. Luke 5 talks about his calling of his disciples. And, and, and then you remember... All of these different types of people with ailments are always being brought to Jesus or they're always hearing about Jesus. And, And unless you've really wrestled with a debilitating disease, sometimes it's easy for us to just move through these. But if you or a family member has truly suffered living in a broken world, you could see how it may have been really attractive to hear about someone who is able to take a skin disease and just with a touch make it clean. A person who's not able to walk. He meets Jesus and Jesus says, Son, get up. You see, all these things were happening. Jesus is doing all these miracles. There are great crowds around him. Some people are following him for the right reason, but most people are following him from the wrong reason. In Luke 6, we hear about his preaching of the sermon on the plain. In chapter 7, verses 1 to 10, we hear about the healing of a a centurion slave. If you look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 7, he says, after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people he entered Capernaum. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. The centurion hears about Jesus, he sends to him the elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And they basically bring him to Jesus. Actually, they say, Hey, come on. Will you come heal him? But what's interesting in this particular story is this man doesn't even feel worthy to have jesus christ come into his home he says just say the word and he'll be healed who is this that's a question that every single man on earth has to wrestle with luke is going to include certain things in his gospel account and he's going to leave a number of other things out at the end of john's gospel he says not even the whole world is able to be filled up with books telling you all that Jesus did. He's he's a selective historian, but he wants you to understand who Jesus is. Because Luke understands that if you understand who Jesus is, nothing will be the same. And here, it says soon afterward, Jesus goes to a town called Nain, a small town. A village even. And Jesus goes and we see this chance meeting. I say chance in quotes because with Jesus in the Gospels, there's no chance meetings. It's kind of like the book of Ruth. You remember the book of Ruth? Ruth just so happens to wander into whose field? Boaz. You see, that's the case in all of our lives. God is doing a billion different things at once. But oftentimes we're so wrapped up in our own circumstances that, that we don't see what God is doing. Sometimes looking at a story like this can help us get some perspective on some things he might be doing in our life. But soon afterwards, Jesus goes to this town called Nain. He's got his disciples with him. And you notice in verse 11, it says, there is a great crowd who's with him. But you notice that that's not the only crowd. Because as Jesus is walking towards the town, there's another group of people that's walking out of town. And it just so happens, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that they're going to meet I mean, look at verse 12. As Jesus draws near to the gate of the town, Luke wants to point something out. How do I know he wants to point something out? Because do you see that in the text? See that word? Behold. Um, they didn't have underlining and highlighters. They didn't have different color ink. And so what they would do is they would use some literary devices so that you would understand what they're saying. Behold, there is a man who had died and he was being carried out. Well, tell me a little bit about the man. Well, he was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Can you imagine the scene? If it was in a movie, they would be shooting the picture, uh, the, the... Uh, The video, and 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 you might see uh, Jesus and, and his disciples. If you were there, you would have seen Jesus and his disciples. But as any good cinematographer would do, they would zoom out, and then they would zoom to another scene. There might be festive music and happiness with the scene around Jesus. They were excited. They had seen Jesus do a whole bunch of really cool things. But as they zoomed in on this other considerable crowd, they see a woman. They see a woman who had tasted bitterness. Much like Naomi, she may have felt like Mara or bitter might be a better name for her. Do you know any people like this? People, it just seems like everything is going wrong in their life. It's almost as if Satan's got a huge target on their back. And he's aiming and he's connecting with all of his fiery darts. You notice that it talks about the young man. He's a man, but it says that he's dead. His heart is not beating. He's cold. He's probably stiff after days. The blood's not flowing. The lungs aren't pumping. A man who had died was being carried out. He's being carried uh, on a, on a uh, it calls it a beer here. It's like a, a plank. And these, these people, almost like pallbearers, are, are walking out of town with this dead body. They're going to probably take the body out to be buried. But then it zooms in and we see that he has a mom. The devastation of losing one of your own kids. But, but it's even heightened because this son is the only son of his mom. And you notice Luke tells us one more little detail that I think is is instructive for us. Not only does her son dead, but she's tasted bitterness before because she was a widow. It's a double loss. When things are hopeless and helpless, where do we turn? I know in my life when I get stressed out or I get anxious... Or, or I worry. It's very easy for me to turn to other things that promise security and satisfaction rather than turning to the Lord. But, but in this moment, Jesus wants to reveal something about himself. The first thing was a chance meeting, but the second thing is I want you to see the compassionate Messiah, So here, these two crowds are coming. In verse 13, notice with me. It says, and when the Lord saw her, he had, you see that word? What's it say? Compassion. Is that how all your translations have it? Very much compassion. Okay. This is kind of this idea. Now, uh, I went ahead and I looked it up in uh, Merriam Merriam Webster's dictionary. And I looked up, okay, what does compassion mean? It means a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. A sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. It kind of gives us a sense of what wells up in Jesus' As the God of Israel has taken on flesh and he sees this woman who is a widow. Notice, God has come to reveal who he is and the person and work of his son. And this God is a seeing God. He looks at the woman and the crowd and he's got the crowd with him. But in this moment, you can almost imagine their eyes meeting. Well, why do I say that? Is that just reading into the text? Well, I think Jesus probably looked her in the eyes when he said, Don't cry. Some of your translations say, Do not weep. Now, how many of you have ever been to a funeral before? A few of you. The funeral of a friend, would you ever go to the mother of a child who's been lost? And tell them to stop crying? Okay, good. Good answer. Don't do that. It's not very not very compassionate. Why would we never go up to a mother who's lost their only son even, who is a widow, and say, don't weep? Well, the reason that I would not do it is probably similar to the reason that you probably want to do it is... Because you're not able to do anything about it. In that moment, what do you think that woman wants more than anything else when she sees her little boy, who's all grown up, laying on a plank, being carried out to be buried? If I could just have one more conversation. If I could just hug him and he'd hug me back. Can, can, you, can you feel the weight of what she's going through here? Uh, sometimes we read through the Bible, we just, we read through it quick. But here Jesus says something interesting. Why does he say, don't weep? He says something, don't weep, because he wants to show his compassion to her and minister to her in her pain. But he also wants to show Everyone there, and God by his Holy Spirit, wants to show you brothers tonight that he is actually powerful enough to do something about a dead body. Now, Muhammad claims to be a prophet. You think about the Buddha, has many, many teachings. You think about gurus all around the world. Are any of them able to make a dead guy, get up. No. Now, now notice, notice again verse 13. Let's get back there. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then in verse 14, he came up and he does something even more interesting. What does he do? It's a simple touch. He comes up to the plank, the beer, it says, and he touches it. And then what does everybody else do? It's like those movies, right? And the record skips. What in the world? Now, why would Jesus, as a good rabbi and a good Jew, why why should he not touch the beer? Well... Because he would have known his Bible. In Numbers chapter 19, verse 11 and verse 16, it says this. Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. Whoever in the open field touches someone who was killed with a sword or who died naturally or touches a human bone or a grave shall be unclean seven days. So when Jesus comes up and he touches the beer, ordinarily it would have have rendered him unclean. Who does this guy think he is? The crowd may have wondered. A better question might be, Who does this one know that he is? Because then, not only has he told the mama, Don't cry anymore, But now he starts to talk to a dead body. Now I've I've been to places where people in their grief have, have talked to dead bodies. You got the corpse there. And they're grieving. And they're crying. And they may even utter these words. Get up. Get up. And the tragedy in that moment. Is they're not able to do anything about it. And you around. When you're watching this. And you, you might have compassion on them. But you're not able to alleviate the pain that they're in. What does Jesus do? Jesus says, young man, I say to you, arise. Very simply, he speaks to the young man. And he says, I want you to get up. And then what does Luke... Do you remember what Luke's profession was? He was a doctor. Do you think he knew what dead people looked like? Yeah. Okay. Um, So the doctor is writing this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit... There's a dead guy, he's been dead, he's going out, okay, considerable crowd, they know he's dead. There would have been people weeping and wailing, hired people to to commemorate the dead. And now Jesus, this traveling rabbi, comes on and he says, all right, boy, get up. And what happens? He gets up. Now, maybe I need to try again. There's a dead guy. And there's a guy who walks up to him and he says, get up. And he gets up. How is that possible? The one we worship, the one we follow, the one we give everything to, is the one who not only reveals his compassion for people in pain... But he's also the one who's able to make the dead rise. You brothers know that experientially, don't you? Do you believe in the book of Ephesians? You do, right? It's a great book, isn't it? You remember those words in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3? How does Paul describe the sinner's estate apart from Christ? Yeah. Does he mean like kind of dead? <clears throat> No, he means like zombie dead, right? It's the walking dead, okay? They thought they were making something new. They're nothing new, right? Because these people seem to be alive, but spiritually they're dead. They're, They're unable to do what God commands them to do. And what happens? But God, because of his rich mercy, because of the great love that he has for us, he makes dead people to be alive. You know that experientially. But if you've ever been to a funeral. Christian funerals are different. Than those who are non-Christians. I've preached. I've preached Christian funerals. At places where there's. The, the person was. Seemed to give every evidence that they were a believer. And I've also. Preached funerals. For people who have given every evidence. That they were not a believer. Those. Friends and family members of those two people, I've seen them grieve differently. And why do they grieve differently? Because God came and took on flesh and lived a perfect life. And in order to liberate people from the fear of death, he actually would taste death for them. You see, as Jesus is doing his miracles, he's actually going to give you a movie trailer, kind of a sneak peek on what the kingdom of God is going to be like. And what is our hope when we die? Actually, we were just talking at our table about uh, what's going to happen when, uh, when one of the brother's nephew is graduating from high school. He's a baby. They said Jacob's going to be like in his 50s. He said, Scott, you might be dead, right? Uh, Thank you, brothers. I appreciate that. It's very kind of you. Um, But I want you to think about that. Death, we don't fear it anymore. Because we know the one who has promised to raise the dead. Here, Luke gives us a glimpse about who this compassionate Messiah is. He, he shows his compassion, and then he, he reveals the almighty power of God able to raise the dead. Uh, third and finally, I want you to see the clear meaning. Now, sometimes when we read the scripture, we see it in verse 16 and 17. Um, when we read the scripture, sometimes we miss the point. Uh, I want to show you an area where uh, the Jewish people around that witnessed this, they would have probably had a little bit insight that, that we might not have. And then I want to show you uh, where we might have some insight that they don't have. So what was their response? What was their understanding of what happened? Uh, look at verse 16. Well, just so we're clear, Jesus gave the boy back to his mother. And then what did everybody do? Yeah, fear. Uh, what would you do? If Pastor Sean walked into a funeral home and spoke to a body and it got up, would that be a little odd? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, might, you, might you feel some different emotions as you saw that happen? Okay. So what was their response? Well, fear seized them all. And then they glorified God. They'd never seen anything like it. A dead man with cold hands and a a heart that had stopped beating. Now he's alive. Now he's talking with his mom. They're embracing. Fear strikes. But then they say something interesting. They say a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. Why did they say a great prophet had visited his people? Most of us, when we read our Bibles... Uh, people who profess faith in Christ in America don't read their Bibles often. But when they do read their Bibles, which testament do they tend to stick to? The old or the new? If you had a choice between reading the book of Ecclesiastes or the book of Ephesians, which one are you turning to oftentimes? Ephesians. I mean, it's so good. But so is Ecclesiastes, isn't it? I, I mean, these people would have had maybe a little bit better insight into The Old Testament or at least been more familiar with it than us why would they say a great prophet has arisen well they may have been like Nicodemus who Nicodemus in chapter 3 verse 2 told Jesus hey we know that you came from God because no one can do what you have been doing unless God is with them could be that but I actually think that there was a story from the Old Testament found in first Kings chapter 17 Verses 17 to 24. If you'll turn there. 1 Kings chapter 17. Verses 17 to 24. I think this may have been. In the back of their minds. There was a prophet there. It wasn't going well for Israel. It seemed as if God was distant. There was a prophet there named Elijah. And Elijah went to Zarephath. And he, and he went specifically To a widow who had an only son. We don't have enough time to go through all of it. But 17 to 24 will kind of uh, give us uh, an idea of this. In verse 17 it says, After this the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. Verse 18. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord Listen to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house. And now lean in real close. And delivered him to his mother. That phrase right there, delivered him to his mother. In the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament... Those words are almost verbatim. These words found in Luke chapter 7. Elijah says, see your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. Another way to say prophet. And that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is truth. So as you turn back to Luke chapter 7. It's an insight they may have. But I want you to see the clear meaning. Because we may be tempted to say, man, that was kind of cool. I haven't seen that much. You see, they said, in verse 16, a great prophet had arisen among us. They also said God had visited his people. And then the report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Come see the man who's able to raise the dead. They thought he was a prophet. And they said... That God had visited his people. But what they did not realize. Is that the compassionate Messiah. Who had hair. And eyebrows. And probably sandals. And toenails. And tear ducts. This one who looked like them. In every other way. Yet without sin. They did not realize who he was. My friends, I don't want us to miss the clear meaning. When we're reading the story about Jesus, we're reading not just about the compassionate Messiah, but we're also reading and getting a glimpse into what God is like. Behold, here is your God. What is God like? He is like His Son. He's come to reveal Himself. What does God do with situations that seem hopeless and helpless? Is He ambivalent to those? No, He sees and He takes pity, He has compassion on those. But you see, the problem oftentimes in our life in this broken world is the people who are most compassionate, they usually don't have much power, do they? Maybe you have a friend, you tell them what's going on at work or in your family, and they say, I'm so sorry. And they're good to be a listening ear, but that's all they can be. On the other side, we have people who they have all the power in the world. They're able to change and alleviate suffering But they don't care. God is here. The God-man Jesus Christ. And in him, we have a clear meaning. We have both compassion. We have power. And what is he doing? He came to save people who were going to die because they had sinned against God Almighty. They had rebelled like this young man who was dead. They had rebelled against God Almighty in their thoughts and in their words and in their actions. They were not perfect. This young man was not perfect. We are not perfect. And if God is going to judge us based on our record, brothers, none of us can make it. None of us. So what's my hope? In this, it's that this one who reveals his compassion and power ultimately is going to live a life of perfect obedience. And his obedience is ultimately going to go to that old rugged cross. I love talking about the cross, don't you? Don't you love hearing about the cross? Because what happens at the cross? The compassionate Messiah is bleeding and gasping, and he knows exactly the mess he's getting. Brothers, he's getting you. And he bleeds, and he gasps, and he offers himself up as a perfect sacrifice. And he says at the very end, do you remember the words? It is finished the sacrifice has been made the compassion for sinners has been shown the power even to die for sinners and to offer himself up in their place and for their sins it has been shown he dies he's buried he's raised to show that that sacrifice is accepted and so what now would the compassionate messiah do for the people <laughs> realize his identity well I want to give you three application points really briefly Um, one in the day to day realities of your life have you spent much time beholding the compassionate Christ in his glory Uh, brother so often we try to grow in Christ and we forget Jesus You go to a Christian bookstore, you can't go to as many now, I've always closed, but there are other ones. You go there, how many books are written on Jesus? They might talk about the Christian life, or they might talk about prayer, or reading your Bible, or fasting. But brothers, how often do we spend beholding the glory of Jesus? That is how you are going to become more like Him, by beholding His glory. Will you spend some time thinking and meditating on the compassionate Christ? Second, in the leading of your family and your family's lives, have you been imitating the compassionate Christ? What I always tell the congregation I have the privilege of serving, and especially these brothers, is if you preach at your own sins... There's oftentimes times where you will find a listening ear in the audience, in the congregation. This God-man looks at this woman in pain, this widow, and he has compassion. God, by his spirit, is remaking his children, us, to be more like his son. One of the ways that we can... Implement this into our life is we might just ask some searching questions. Does your wife feel the compassion of the Lord? Do your children feel His tender touch through you? Does your coworker and your next-door neighbor understand that you've met the compassionate Christ and desire to be shaped by his life in ministry? Brothers. Let us follow Jesus and imitate him, the compassionate Christ. Um, Third and final. I want you to spend maybe some time over this weekend, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow. Reflecting on the compassionate Christ's work in your life. Have you tasted his goodness and seen that he is good? When you think about the Lord... Do you think about him being angry with you over your performance? Or have you thought about his kindness that's meant to lead you to repentance? God, through the gospel, has done an amazing thing for us. So spend some time thinking about Christ. Spend some time thinking about how can I imitate this compassion that Christ shows in, in my life, in my family, in my neighborhood, and spend some time reflecting on this compassionate Christ's work in your life. Who is he? Well, the chance moment, the compassionate Messiah, and the clear meaning has shown us that Jesus is the prophesied prophet and God who visits his people and raises the dead. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word that you have given to us. Your word is meant to lead us to see the beauty of your son, who is like him. God, whatever we're going through, would you help us to focus on him and his glory? Would would you move us to thankfulness? And would you move us to desire to share this Jesus with those around us? God, we love you. Thank you for your compassion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.